welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing recorded once again at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, contributing editor at Publishers Weekly. Um, uh, check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. I'm Meg Lemke. I'm the Comics and Graphic Novels Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. I'm happy to be joining today. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can leave us a rating or a comment on any of those platforms because we love to hear from our listeners. You can find us online on Tumblr, pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Well, an epic, epic episode of More to Come. This is the Avengers Infinity War of More to Come episodes. Only nobody dies. Well, nobody's going to die. Nobody's going to die. This week on More to Come, lots about San Diego. Oh, yes. But also, to say epic, because for once, all four of us together in the same room. This is the first time this has ever happened, so we're pretty excited uh, for our regular three folks, uh, Kate, Calvin, and myself, and then the regular star-watching team of Calvin and Meg, were reunited to talk about <laughs> Comic-Con, which Meg and I were at, Calvin and Kate observed from afar. And Meg's first... Comic-Con. This is my very first San Diego Comic-Con. I have been to many general conventions around comics, but it was the first time I'd gone out to San Diego, so that was really interesting. The mother of all Comic-Cons. I know. It was quite a trip in all the ways, I keep saying. Well, uh, Meg, you checked in with us on Saturday on a previous episode and talked a little bit about your uh, first-time impressions. Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, after that, as you had time on your flight home and in the days that ensued, did you have any other, you know, final thoughts about your first Comic-Con or... I mean, I think I said this before, I really liked the parties and the social events. You know, I feel like <laughs> the show floor is the show floor, and it's similar to other Comic-Con show floors. I enjoy finding out about new books, getting to talk to publishers. I think it's really fun to see publishers who, you you know, who may actually be like the publisher of a company sitting behind a booth yes. handing out plushies, you know, or something. <laughs> like, it's very humanizing. Yeah. And I do really appreciate that, the democratization of, like, everybody having to hawk their stuff. Um, but I just really, like, the comic book legal defense party was beautiful. I mean, there were some lovely moments, some lovely vistas to take in. That's always a great party. It's on a... top of the roof. Uh, yeah. I assume it was still there. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, you know, not being there, you know, I, I, I will, I'm not going to pretend that I, you know, didn't, don't miss the friends, the contacts. Seeing the industry all in one place, mm -hmm. it's pretty exciting. Do you think that you might go back sometime, Calvin, as I, just an attendee? I, I'd love to go back if there's anybody out there that's listening that wants to bring me. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to go back as a reporter, but I certainly would love to go back and hang out and right. be on the floor. Right. And so if the and Kate, would you go if the opportunity arose? Um, if anybody would foot part of the bill, sure. It is an expensive show. You know, yes. it's a lot. The hotels and are expensive. more and more expensive this year. Really and getting a hotel room. Yeah, it was a whole... Not to mention general. flying to California. Yeah. Right, absolutely. So the whole thing, I mean, that's why this is my first time going. You know, like, very plainly, it's an expensive investment. Um, 
But, you know, my personal impressions are different than the business impressions, which I feel like I should say. Mm. It was very much uh, a sense of, like, coming back enthusiasm for books. You know, the headlines have all been, like, Comic-Con really about the books this year. And since it was my first show, I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I did see that. The, the floor was packed. Mm. And multiple panels I went into were completely full to the back. Well, that's one of the things that was really remarkable about it was that the panels were so well attended. It was great. And, um, you know, the ones that I went to, you know, aside from Hall H, okay? So Hall Mm -hmm. H, the traditional 6,000 people strong, uh, you know, where they have the big movie panels. And then even Ballroom 20, which is where they have the big TV panels, the Indigo Ballroom at the Hilton. I mean, between those three venues, you're easily... Talking ten thousand people, because yeah. mm. um, the ballroom is like four, five thousand people. Yeah, 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 exactly. So you're talking a lot of people that were had couldn't go to those panels, so they went to other panels, and I hope they came away satisfied. Mm-hmm. What about the massive holding pin there at the end of the convention oh, center? Oh, yeah. What was that like? Was it there? Was it even there? Wasn't there? I mean, yeah. we were walking home on. From the Eisners, as your mm-hmm. tradition, there was a couple people. I think I might have mentioned this on the other podcast. Yeah. So, Parent, did I? Did I mention it? I think so, or somewhere you did. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Don't yeah. let me stop I, you now. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You know, you just forget. You have these conversations, and um, you know, I, I ramble, as you know, if you listen to the podcast. But anyway, there were some people outside, uh, but literally, where once there had been a line of you know several hundred people for collectibles, there was literally, literally, because I counted them, mm-hmm. seven people. Mm. And in Hall H, there was about 10 to 12 people lined up, and we were just like, why? And they're like, I guess they just like camping out, you know? I didn't even mm. talk to them. They were just obviously doing it because they enjoyed the idea of camping out and being first in line, <laughs> even though there was absolutely no need to do it. Did so they do that, anything in Hall H? Yeah, they did. They yeah. had some panels mm. there, but... That's interesting, though. It means they really did have, like, a communal experience that they were trying to replicate, you know, that's a nice sort of human story, actually, that it's not just inconvenience, that there's something that they dig about it. Oh, well, that's what you... Why does anybody like camping? Why but not I, camp? <laughs> but I think you that. just touched on it in your own comments, Meg, and what Calvin was just saying, too. It's like you said, oh, it was kind of a magical experience. Mm. You know, there's just something very magical about San Diego. You know, the weather is fantastic, you know, so it's not yes. like, oh, the rain, we couldn't go outside. <laughs> You know, it's always beautiful. It's always beautiful, mm-hmm. and the you know mm-hmm. you're right on the water, which people love. I, I, you know, people are happy when they're by the water, mm-hmm. and um, it's just I mean, they, like, they, like, they like these thing. I mean, yeah. it is. It's like it's like really going to another country for four days. You know, Comlandia, mm-hmm. and, and 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 there's a, a variety of experiences, and you expect new experiences all the time. And uh, and I'm saying this wistfully since I didn't experience it this year. So it's really great to hear, you know, just to hear some feedback on on those of you lucky to you know, to get visas <laughs> and to sit down. Um, what was it like? What were the activations like? What was it like outside? Because that's that's the other thing with Comic Con. You don't have to have a ticket to get in the in mm-hmm. the convention hall to actually have a pretty good time. Well, I, as I mentioned in our winners and losers piece for the beat, um, you know, we do have a big winners and losers up. I'm gonna try not to repeat that as well. But uh, you know, the Writers Guild of America and you know SAG mm-hmm. after the Actors Guilds may have said, "Ixnay, we're striking, no Comic Con." 
Um, but the marketing spends had been made months mm-hmm. ago. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was in full force. Mm-hmm. I mean, it actually, they were quite crowded. And I got to do more of them. Well, I would say more, but I, I had to do several of them. They're very elaborate. They're way bigger than they were before, yeah. um, mm-hmm. before the COVID. Um, I just think they have, you know, again, spent a lot of time doing it. Well, I mean, I think, and, and we'll see how this plays out during New York Comic Con. Um, that with the strikes, the activations are all the more important hmm. because if you are not getting your show or your movie in front of people's eyes by having the actors, by having the directors, by having the writers do a panel and get a lot of press that way, you need to get eyeballs another way and maybe your funky little activation is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you know, I may have said this, I'll probably repeat myself now, but the building wrap stuff stunned me. And I've heard you talk about this often on the podcast, like, oh, they're starting the wraps, like, they're starting now. <laughs> and I didn't really understand what you were talking about, really. I didn't have a visual for it. It's amazing. These yeah, huge, mm-hmm. these yeah. huge, like, massive condo buildings. Are you can see them from a plane. I know, and it's like, and there's something really cool about some of the designs. I mean, some of them are a little corny, but like the one they did for Yellow Jackets, Mm -hmm. the entire Mm. building was that Yellow Jackets logo that they have in the back of their their soccer uniforms, Mm -hmm. which like is a show I watch and I like it, Mm -hmm. or I like the first season at least, but not to get into that tangent. But like that was interesting to me because it's not like they have a new season out. You you don't, you know, like... You want to stay in the mind's eye. Right. You know, and we talked about how it differs from New York Comic Con in that, you know, like New York Comic Con, once you pass 10th Avenue, the con's totally. over. Totally. Or like is it San Diego? Um, well, let me tell you, I had a really startling experience because after the show, I went to visit friends, uh, Avery Kaplan and Rebecca Oliver Kaplan. Uh, they're beat writers anyway. They were gracious enough to invite me to spend a few days at their guest house up in the mountains. But we went down to Target in uh, Poway and we passed... The, the, uh, or might have not been there, but anyway, we passed the railroad track and that train went by and it had the wrap on it. Cause mm. you, you know, when you're standing the, in, in the center of San Diego and you see the metro go by with the wrap for Futurama or the Simpsons or whatever, you're like, oh, it's part of Comic Con. Mm-hmm. You don't realize that it's 30 miles away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that train is being seen 30 miles away. So it really, that really blew my mind. It just gave me a whole new context for how big these marketing activations are. Yeah, it, it really takes over the city, I think, as far as I can tell from a distance, mm-hmm. in a way that it doesn't for New York Comic Con. Just like the menus. Like when I sat down the first day to like come and join Heidi at like a meetup for beat writers and just like getting to know people, I didn't understand that like every menu <laughs> was suddenly dorky. Like it's incredible. It's like, yes. And yes. a bunch of the people who were just like working like the CVS like had a costume on. It was incredible. Yeah. I, I feel like it's become part of the identity of San Diego as mm-hmm. a City. Yeah. Did the hotel personnel have on goofy t-shirts? Oh, they did. Yes. Yeah. Just... But there was <laughs> there was less signage than in years past. Mm. In years past, you'd get off at the airport and you see signage, and there was not a lot this year. And they didn't have the key cards. They're like, you know, because I checked mm. in and I was like, oh, could I have the key card? Oh, yeah, you want the special one? It was just a Paramount Plus logo. It was really mm. disappointing. It's been interesting because in some ways, San Diego. It, 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 it's only kind of embraced Comic Con fairly recently. I mean, relatively. Really, relatively speaking. But my, from my early years going there, they, the, the San Diego and San Diego Inns—I don't know what their the, the proper usage is. 
kind of ignored it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that started to change, what, maybe four or five years ago? When they had oh the, no, it's more like ten years. Ten ago. years ago, but but so just I'm just curious about that. Where they, they, they where it really said no, okay, they really yes. are into it. You know, I always take, I always, um, I always talk to the locals. I talk to the the cab drivers, the, the Lyft drivers, mm-hmm. and, you know, people yeah. at the hotels and everything. And you know, it's like any big event here. In uh, New York, uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day, uh, it's like, oh, I am not going outside, you know. And then other people, I, well, St. Patrick's Day is the wrong thing because it's gross. But, um, <laughs> you know, like the big holidays in New York, some people stay inside, some people are partaking. Halloween parade. Is a yeah, or Macy's parade. Like Macy's people will parade. go to that perfect example. Don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, listen, I want to bring up one thing, and we hadn't talked about this for, at all before. Uh, one of the cool things that happened was that the congressman, Robert Garcia, uh, who is the former mayor of Long Beach, comic book lover, uh, got sworn in on a copy of Superman 1. Uh, you know, he announced the uh, Congressional Popular Arts Caucus, the first ever caucus dedicated to championing and honoring the role of popular oh. arts. And, you know, on his panel was uh, Megan Halsband of the Library of Congress and uh, Jeff Trexler, oh. um, frequent podcast guest of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and also uh, creator Josh Trujillo. And anyway, I mean, it was nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're a congressional committee on comic books. We'll go. But I, they did pledge their support uh, for anti-censorship and, and, you know, freedom to read. So I think that that was just a nice thing, I, I thought. I had dinner with Megan. She was really excited to be there, too, and then coming in for this. The librarians were there in force. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, well, how was preview night? Busy, like busy. did not seem. Everyone yeah. was like, "You gotta go. It'll be the one time you can slow down, <laughs> chat with everybody. You can have your meeting." Yeah. It was packed. It was packed. Yeah. Well, Preview Night's gone through changes where yeah. they tried to kind of calm things down at yeah. one point, um, but uh, it seems like it's back to being out of control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, I normally don't go to Preview Night because I have a competing event that mm. I didn't have this year, so I went, mm. but it was, it was very crowded. I mean, look, I want to address the other elephant in the room. Uh, this was another COVID event. I mm. mean, so oh, many really? people got yeah. COVID. And, uh, rates are low, but I would say as many people got COVID after this con as did last year, at least in my circle of friends and, or, you know, um, acquaintances as people on, on Twitter, people I hung out with, I have tested negative consistently ever since. But I think that was a, honestly to God, I didn't see anybody but myself part-time and a couple of my roommates wearing masks on Wednesday. By Sunday, people were, a few more people were wearing masks. Because yeah, I think right. the word had already gotten out at the show. Uh, I know one publisher had already had a major outbreak. And uh, half their booth, you know, couldn't show up that day. Wow. Listeners, I would like to take this moment for a public service announcement. If you never wear a mask literally anywhere else except a hospital, consider wearing one to the more tightly packed parts of a convention. Yes. Seriously. And get your booster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, just in terms of my uh, not ever having tested positive for COVID, um, you know, I am quintuple vaxxed and I wear a mask when it's crowded and I avoid places that are poorly ventilated. So, you know, so far, so good. But, but I do think it was very sobering for people. I think that people went in completely being like, Hey, COVID is over. And then even by Sunday, they were like, COVID's not over. Bummer, (laughs) man. (laughs) 
You know, uh, I'm actually want to refer to something that uh, you guys were talking about in your uh, four women in a uh, hotel room. Um, uh, and I should also we should also point people to publisherswithy.com slash comics. There's lots of content up there about the show. Uh, preview stories, stories after it, our coverage uh, after the uh, after the uh, uh, Comic Con is over, uh, and numerous interviews. And maybe we can like uh, let people know what what interviews are up there a little on in, in the show also. Um, and I lost my train of thought. Well, there was something that we talked about in our women. Oh yes, yes there was. Uh, that uh, that I think that this was a transitional con yes. in mm-hmm. some ways. Thank you for bringing me back. Um, yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit about what you meant by that. Well, I I just think that um, it's shown in the headlines in Publishers Weekly. You know, I get PW Daily, the newsletter, and every day it says the headline is book sales slip. And sometimes it's 1%. Today it was 5%. That's more significant. But, you know, sales are, are slipping. And uh, including in graphic novels, including in manga, including in kids' comics. I mean, I heard this a lot. I mean, Meg, did you have any conversations about just general, general sales trends with people? I mean, it's interesting because people were very confident about the sales on the show floor. And that was positive. Like, people were feeling upbeat mm-hmm. around it. Um, and then... I talked to Tay Taylor, which I have the interview with her, and she's like infectiously positive about the potential sales, but they haven't actually launched yet. So that's an interesting, you know, I hope that that maintains. I mean, ink lore is very promising when you hear yeah, about right. their slate. It yes. sounds great. So that's like a very positive, but I actually had that conversation soon after seeing the, like, how does publishing work that had Fanagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, um, Silver Sprocket, and who else was on that panel? But it was mostly indies, and they mm-hmm. were definitely downbeat. It was yeah. a downbeat sort of. It was very much, and you know, I beg you, listening to this podcast, probably, um, and maybe Eric and everyone else. I felt like it was in response to other panels they'd had where authors were coming at them for not paying more Mm, to creators. And they were trying to kind of be very upfront and frank about the margins that they run on. Um, Oh, I know. um, They had an art. Well, they had uh, the Megan Mogg, you know, they had Mm -hmm. Hanselman on there too. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had one, like, actually really strong selling. Simon Mm -hmm. was, like, a very strong selling. Sorry, it took me a minute. That's Simon Hanselman. Simon Hanselman, yeah. Thank you, Megan Mogg and Ollie, yeah. Jesus. Simon Hanselman was on the podcast too, and so was um, uh, what uh, Jack, you know, his wife, Jack and also yes. the yeah, marketing director at Fanographics. So um, they just—it was just interesting because it was sobering. I'll just say it was sobering. It was a downbeat sort of panel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think something that sometimes gets compressed and like almost elided in our podcast because it's so obvious to us—it's the air we breathe—is that the margins are very, very different in the indies yes, than exactly. they are in big publishing houses. There's just not as much room to fail, and there's not as much room for sales to fall before it becomes financially a problem. Yeah, but hey... And they're long-running, yeah, you know? But, you know, look, uh, you, sometimes even at major publishing houses, you get a $30,000, $50,000 advance. That's a considered a decent advance and you know there's just been some recent things about how that doesn't go very far when you're right. you know uh, making a graphic novel so so that's really interesting Kate I mean I wasn't at uh, or Meg I wasn't at those panels and and uh, you know I do think 
I, I think some of the things I was picking up on also are a little bit of a preemptive strike against, you know, the comics broke me, um, which is incredibly valid. But, you know, everybody's like, hey, where's the money? And, um, you know, uh, there isn't really any money. You know, yeah, that's well, what the message was. Yeah, <laughs> well, there, there is money, but it's not evenly distributed. Correct. Right? Like some yeah. books, some publishers may be making a lot. Mm. And that's why you need to know numbers on your sales. Correct. And that's why you need to, if it's at all reasonable, hold on to all or part of your rights should it be used for something. But, yeah, like, your book may not earn out. And, and it's not just you. you. Most books don't earn out. Most books don't earn <laughs> And when we say most, we mean most. Well, it's it's an interesting... Um, when I say earn out, they don't earn back their advances. It's a very transitional time. And, you know, even some people who are like, well, Marvel and DC have tons of money. It's like, no, they don't. Like, have you looked at Time Warner's stock price? Have you looked at Disney's stock price? Yes. Bob Iger made $200 million. And, you know, Zasloff made $400 million or whatever. But the budgets for Marvel and DC are very low. They need to get bigger budgets, absolutely, because they are the basis of these millions of movies. But I, I'm just, you know, it's hard to pry money out of these places. And we should but, also mention in the book industry, you can sell a lot of books and still not make much money. Yeah, I don't mean to be, I don't know if I'm <laughs> summarizing this panel well, but in terms of saying, like, what was I hearing about sales, yeah. that mm-hmm. panel, which I went to to, like, hear how folks were thinking about presenting their work, you know, mm-hmm. about their, the work of publishing, of the work of making books, they were definitely taking a defensive stance to some extent. Mm-hmm. And... And I also think saying, you know, for literary comics, you know, sort of that sort of general, like, there's only a few books a year that I can break out the general mm-hmm. market. Yeah, and they yeah. were trying to make that yeah. clear. Um, and I think that it was designed to really speak to aspiring creators there to say, like, be cognizant of what this business is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, whether there's mm-hmm. alternative models, I'm not trying to, this was, it was an interesting, and actually, Avier, like, you know, they were really a beat where they were like, it's rad. We'll sell comics. It'll be great. You know, well, you know, like they have a very small radical press. That's so I think it's, that's out of yeah. the air, like of silver sprocket. And I think yeah. that it was more the the more kind of established medium sized publishers that are very outsized and influenced well, were I'll- saying, you know. Avi also did respond to the comics broke me Twitter thread, mm-hmm. and they gave a very honest and. Um, comments about how they don't pay giant advances and they don't pay a lot of money and they are in there trying to make this a better industry with better models but you know they were frank about the fact that it's an art model it's not a commercial and they can break even on far fewer sales right yeah that's what they were saying it was was interesting so you know i i just think i think this was the time of Everybody tried different things. I, you know, I look, I want to shout out Distillery, all right? Because yes, uh, yes. I know Chip is listening to I hate this. Chip. Chip, hey Chip. <laughs> but, uh, you know, listen, props to them. Like they had a very, you, you know, they, they did the idea of don't have a big giant booth that, that cost you thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars. Just have people that, uh, you know, buyers want to come meet and get signed their books. And they sold a ton of copies of their debut. Um, uh, the Devil's Cut an- anthology, and also they did have a very effective they had a big booth. booth. They had a big booth, and they had a great uh, display that was somehow like illuminated, but it was very thrifty. They really yeah. use a lot of neon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will say, and this is just me being cynical, I guess, that I have long, long before I was on this podcast. In fact, when I was 
a mere fan attending conventions uh, before I even got out of high school that you can always, well not always, but frequently tell which publishers, smaller publishers, will crash and burn by the ones who have booths that make no sense as to their gigantic yes. size. A hundred percent. Like, like seriously, always, like, overestimate how much your booth is going to cost you people. Do not get ruined by your office building or your Comic-Con booth. Yeah. Like, 100%. seriously, don't 100%. buy more house than you can afford, especially Comic-Con. And you see that quite a bit. And, um, you know, I think Distillery had a very effective model. You know, they had great creators mm-hmm. there, like Jock, Tulu Lote, Scott Snyder, the list goes, James Tinney, and everybody went on and on. And they also, I will say, I don't think I mentioned this, they did have the Dead Dog Party, which was very small, it was a very small venue. I was not like the extravaganzas, quote-unquote, Mm. of graffiti's dead dog but you know picking up that mantle um and yeah you're right though there was a lot of talk about idw's booth which um they had a new booth well Mm. you know last year they had a booth they had pretty much the same booth at new york comic-con so it was very larger it had Mm. a big godzilla on it Mm. um Mm. and it had like kind of these little modules where you could have meetings or do signings or sell books but they had uh, changed that to kind of like an uh, empty shell. I'm making a lot of hand gestures. Which you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> it's very informative uh, for us but, here. But uh, for everybody who's here, yeah. they can see my hand gestures. Anyway, it's kind of like in the middle was a big empty queuing area. And then at the side, so on one side was a selling booth. And on the other was a signing area. But really, there wasn't much there. It was mostly an area for people to queue up and meet Kevin Eastman. Uh, because apparently they had such huge lines for him last year. They were like, hey, I guess we need more room. Kevin Eastman, so they, they changed the booth uh, to accommodate those lines, but, um, you know, it's just interesting because, um, you know, IEW is, has had some struggles, I mean, they're sure. apparently uh, stabilized, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Not I mean, going to I went to their what about top show? panel. Oh, yeah. how was their panel? Their panel was interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris was there, Chris Taros was there, mm-hmm. Lee was in the audience, which I was like... Why didn't we up there? But that's fine. Yeah. Um, they had a couple of uh, art- authors and artists on the panel, too. Um, it's such a range of books. Mm. I mean, that was interesting. Mm. You definitely see how they're retrenching and creating. The, you know, the whole Scott Snyder thing is, like, big section. Mm. That has its own feel. That's, you know, there's a lot of energy behind that. And then they had, like, this 40th anniversary Little Ponies book, which actually looks, like, lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, beautifully drawn, sort of sweet, nostalgic you know, they, they're going, you know, and then they had Top Shelf, and it's like a completely different tone shift, which is the model to have imprints. I mean, it's actually something, you know, that can be a positive model to have very different audiences right. for your imprints. You're not, you're not competing. Like, if you look at PRH, like, they're right. in competition with themselves all the time between their um, imprints uh, on the general publishing side mm-hmm. as well as potentially in the comics publishing side. Um, it was good. There was a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I think... I, I did feel like you could kind of tell they were still getting to know each other as colleagues, like, a little bit. Like, I mean, I'm bringing that to the table, but they were, you know, still figuring it out. I mean, who knows if they'd all been in the room together. But, right. But. You know, I want to give a shout-out. I know we shouted them out in the previous episodes that I was on, but I, I do want to call out Oni Press for having, um, you know, a big mm-hmm. gender queer display. Yeah, they did. Oh, it was yeah. huge. Uh, a huge gender queer display mm-hmm. and having... Um, the book for sale mm-hmm. and not flinching from that and putting it front and center. Uh, you know, props to them because... Um, you know, it's the most yeah. controversial book in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like they've had a good bounce back. Mm-hmm. If, 
I mean, we, we talked earlier about this being a tra- transitional con, and I think the topics we're talking about now, we re- should remind us we're in a transitional marketplace yes, for comics. 100%. Now. Everything is changing. Yes. And if, if I may re- repeat my, my kind of description of it is that, yes, it is tough to make a living in this business. It's tough to make a living in publishing, period. Um, but there are more, more ways than ever before for comics artists to be underpaid. Yes. Uh, ways that never existed before and still more coming out. I yeah. mean, I, I really think your interview with, uh, Inklor and, and mm. Tay Taylor is a very interesting and her view of the marketplace is very smart, I think, and instructive. It's inclusive and expansive. And she just has really lovely energy. And I don't know if this came into the interview, but like she just got the job when it was yeah. posted. In, and I, I love that. Great you know, I love that yes. she just went for it and they hired her and she's a perfect fit. You know, I will say if, uh, you know, uh, the late Crash great Tom, Tom Spurgeon were here, uh, he would say all eyes on Inklor. Yes. Mm, so. Yeah. Well, it, mm. uh, Meg looked at me like, what did you just say, Kate? And I said, fresh blood because, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's because true. Well, she's been around. Yeah. Well, she's she been has. around, but she wasn't around there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's good to bring in somebody who has industry know-how who mm-hmm. maybe hasn't been working at your company forever. You know, mm-hmm. a couple of other fresh blood uh, type moves at the show. Um, you know, I didn't actually talk to them, but Massive. Did you talk to Massive at all? Oh, yeah. Yes. But they mm-hmm. are the new. They are the newest publisher. They are allied with Whatnot, which mm-hmm. is a kind of a tech company. And uh, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but they did have a booth. They did a, a bunch of things. I, I just, you know, I avoided the show floor. Maybe that's why I don't have COVID. Um, so I didn't really spend a lot of time visiting people on the floor. So I didn't get a chance to talk to them. I did visit briefly with the Mad Cave people. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of curiosity about what they are doing. Um, uh, you know, uh, disclosure, they were the sponsor of the Beats coverage. So I'm, you know, I want to make that clear. Not because and they're the new owner of Paper Cuts. And they own Paper Yeah, cuts. for a little while. Yeah. I went by and talked to them. Yeah. Not, they did not sponsor this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I went by and talked to them. Um, and that was, it, it's very interesting to me because Paper Cuts was with, um, Terry over at NBM for so long. And, and also because they, you know, he publishes a lot of European cartoonists, mm. uh, kids cartoonists, like they have asterisks and some other like huge international right. names. And so I think it's, we also, Maggie has had some books that have gotten some very nice buzz. Their book Paper Planes was one of our top oh, right. um, picks for forthcoming titles. And they, we also shouted them out as being at the show, that, mm. that title, and just had like kind of lovely, charming feel as a, a YA. We were, you know, like, YA teen comics is a really strong growth area and they're really getting in that market and I think in an interesting way. Well, they also announced after the show, um, that they had just hired three new editors. So oh, okay. I think that's fairly, uh, fairly major news and, uh, I can't find their names right now and they're not on the tip of the, my tongue, uh, because I didn't know what, hold on, let me see if I could just call out who they hired. Uh, because I do think that is a nice thing. Well, it's not up on their website, but anyway, they did. Uh, they hired some people. They hired three new editors. Gay They're jobs. all very well. I'll, I'll look it up and I'll bring it up. Uh, very well. Um, you know, great resumes, very experienced, and um, so uh, you know they are very much. I will say. Um, a lot of times we see people enter the market or ramp up, mm-hmm. and uh, this is kind of year two of their ramp up. But a lot of times, year two is the year that the ramp up break. ends. And what'd you say? Make or break. Make or break. And uh, it seems to me that they are still ramping up. That they are definitely still continuing. Um, I mean, they're only in their second year, but um, 
you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. I mean, they're definitely still rising. I don't want to neglect to mention, actually, at PRH booth that I not only got to talk to Tay at Inclore, but I didn't get to connect with them, but the 10-speed graphic folks were also very much in force. I mean, they really were bringing to the show two new comics imprints with PRH. Um, and um, Joel Christian Gill was there signing Stamped, which is an adaptation. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of, um, the of Ibram X. Kendi's thank you. Uh, National Book Award winning Book the nonfiction work on the history of racist thought. And it's amazing. I got a mm. big starred review at PW. The reviewer was very into it. Yes. Um, and just Joel is a fabulous cartoonist and human being yeah. just really an incredible person mm-hmm. so it's nice to see him getting more and more platform uh he had a, he had a nice line to sign and i also really love seeing a lot of kids were coming up and introducing themselves to him and getting books signed very nice uh just to, just so i get them in there the new editors hired at paper cuts uh excuse me at mad cave are adam Malenta, uh and who is a kind of a he makes his own comic punk top punk taco um and has many many credits and then uh marla isaac who worked at TKO and Image, and Good. also uh, Christina Harrington, who uh, worked at Marvel and Aftershock. So, yeah, three very experienced folks coming on there. You know who was also there, we should not neglect to mention, was Kickstarter. They had a That's little booth. Right. They had a little That's booth right. and a lot of programming. Yeah. And um, listeners, I, I want you to guess what uh, Kickstarter we all thought of today. Oh. Heidi and I both did. Good omens. Yes. So, you know, if you're wondering why there was one hit by Neil Gaiman <laughs> that was never made into a graphic novel, the answer is the time was not right. But now it is the Terry Pratchett estate and Neil Gaiman and Colleen Duran, uh, one of my favorites, are uh, working together on a graphic novel adaptation of the hit classic book, currently TV series, and it is on Kickstarter as we speak. Well, I wanted to bring that up because we've had two $1 million Kickstarters. Mm-hmm. Well, one is not on Kickstarter. One is on Backer Kit, so it's not even on Kickstarter. It's the a crowd crowdfunded yes. uh, campaigns. And so one of them is this Good Omens, which is just in its uh, getting started, but it's already at $1 million. And also the Lack of Daisy uh book set and plushies from Iron Circus is also at a million dollars after a week, which is And that's like pretty. her own platform. Yeah. yeah. Well back or no, back no? kit is it's where she went it's after where she, she went working after with oh, yeah. Kickstarter, okay. but she's now, you know, leading on it in the way that she oh, had in comics yeah. with Kickstarter. Mm-hmm, um I'll just I'll throw in there that, that Labyrinth graphic novel adaptation is already at half a million dollars also. Oh really? Yeah. 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 And the thing is that's with good omens, the the rise to that one million number, it's been less than a week. Like mm-hmm. literally yeah. I clicked on that uh in my email like yesterday and the number was nowhere near a million. Yeah. No, these it both shot up fast. these both are incredibly fast. The lack of daisy um has twenty one days left. It is at um eleven one million mm-hmm. one point one million dollars. Uh the uh, Good Omens is also at 27 days to go and has $1.1 million. So, uh, you know, it is the best of times. It yeah. is the worst of times. And, and like a daisy, obviously this is the funding and animated uh, series, but it also includes, certainly the, uh, the yeah. premiums include uh, 
But hardcover and paperback mm-hmm. collections of the uh, web comics. Oh, yeah. And then the Labyrinth. Who's publishing that? Boom. Boom. Yeah. Well, they're masters of it. So, But it's a fabulous animation, well, though, Academy. I really yeah. enjoyed the More. pilot that they had up. Yeah, it's very, very, very well done. Yeah. It really speaks to a lot of fan bases. I'll, I'll put it in there. Have you? Are, are you familiar? Have you seen Lackadaisy at all? Yeah, I, I remember seeing it way back in yeah. the old days when uh, DC, I don't even remember what they called it. I think Zood or something Zuda? like that. Zuda, right, had their own like, hey, we should do web comics. Oh. Uh, yeah, Zuda was early. Mm. Yeah, and Lackadaisy was but... part of that. Mm. It um, was really yes. Huh? Lackadaisy was one of their original lineup. Oh, I didn't remember that. Huh? That's interesting. But it made it and kept yeah. going. I like Lackadaisy. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's extremely well done. <laughs> and, and and this this animation is only going to. But let me tell you how far it's it's uh, going beyond its original bounds. A friend of mine who knows nothing about comics, who has zero interest in comics, but loves cats, was like, Kate, uh, there's Kate, that. Yes. Uh, you'll never believe this cool thing that I just saw in my For You list on YouTube. Oh, it's so cute. It's got animated cats. And I was like... Okay. There's that. There's a whole new audience for <laughs> well, Lackadaisy. I I do think Lackadaisy has a lot of potential. And, you mm. know, I, I mean, when I say transitional, something so transitional happened while we were at Comic-Con, which was the success of the Barbie movie. Oh, and, it was amazing. And Oppenheimer. It's pretty uh, impressive. Uh, very impressive. See I went, Barbie. I, I see Barbie. I once saw it at the, at the drive-in. It was delightful. Yes. But, um, uh, you know, and that was a game, that was a game changer. You know, everybody was, why are people going to see Mission Impossible 17 and Indiana Jones 49? I don't understand. Um, and, you know, I think Hollywood, everybody's saying Hollywood took the wrong lesson from Barbie and now they're making more toy movies. That isn't why it worked, no, guys. It that's why not it why it works. I, I'll say uh, Iron Circus and Tracy Butler have lightning in a bottle of Black mm-hmm. Daisy. Yeah. And Can I, I say something funny about cats? Because I remember this really no, long time ago. No, man. man. I didn't raise my hand first. I'm sorry. No, um, I remember long, long ago that, uh, an acquisitions meeting, there was a, there was a editor who did like the pets books mm-hmm. and she said the thing about dog people is they're brand loyal. Like they're like breed loyal, you know? Mm-hmm. So like you, they don't oh, buy yeah. any dog book. It has to be like your dachshunds or whatever. Cat people, it's all yeah. cats. cats. It's all cats. 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 So you have an ability cats. just to sell to a broader, cross, you know, inclusive any cat market. Cat. Yes. We like any kind of cat. Um, all cats are good. All well, cats are good. But yeah, I, like I do think... So I'm Buy stuff. I they buy them like on. a box. I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. this came this came down from the pet yeah. editor mm-hmm. at Book Mifflin twenty years ago. All right. Uh, <laughs> just to, yeah, we, we will see. Cat I, people are too confident in uh, their obsessions. Two things that, people that's like. Really what this means. Neil Gaiman and cats. Two things people yes, like. Yeah, um, absolutely. And we'll Even I like Lackadaisy, and for, really, I. Could hear less about cats. Well, and love there it. was also yeah. We make him listen to our cat stories too much. Not you, my, all my friends and relatives. I, I, you know, but whatever. That's all right. Lackadaisy is a treat. I'm telling you, it's break a out. total treat. Whoever's listening to this, this it's is a treat. This is go the, see it. This is the next crossover right. hit. It's the old overnight success. Twenty years in the yeah. making, and, and the pilot is still up. You can see yeah. it. It's got yeah. millions of views. Well, I want to talk about one. So, you know, we're talking about the transition. Uh, we should talk about one company that seems to have transitioned 
to defunctitude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which no. is heavy metal. Yeah. And so we yeah. talked about their issues. And, you know, I haven't really dug into this story. I guess none of us have. But um, uh, there was another website that uh, they had teamed up with Whatnot. I know Calvin did write that story. Yeah, but uh, one of my last yeah. business stories. But it turns but, yeah. out that never really happened. No. Whatnot was going to put out volume two. And somehow Whatnot slipped up. And, you know, Whatnot is now partnered with Massive, this new company. And Heavy Metal, uh, I don't even really know what's going on there, but uh, Chris Longo, who was the publisher, announced on on Facebook that he was stepping down, so that's kind of a bad sign. And, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, not everybody makes it. Yeah, and, and quite frankly, <laughs> yeah. sometimes when you look at a publisher and you're like, I don't know what their business model is, sometimes the answer is they don't really have one that's working for them. Well, Occasionally they do. Sometimes you're surprised they have a demographic you never thought of, mm. but often it, it, you know, somebody just went on a wing and a prayer. But you know, heavy metal is a venerable brand. I know, that's what I mean. It's very venerable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but even venerable brands have to, has to pay people, get rights, and there's a big mess there. There is. Uh, so we hope to have... Do you think someone else is going to pick up the brand? Absolutely. Yeah. Someone and will I, buy the so brand. Like, do zombie we have, brand. Yeah, zombie brand. Because yeah. yeah. even Chris Longo has left yeah. the publisher. Yeah. And yeah, and I think one of the last stories I wrote was uh, Matthew Medney, who was mm-hmm. leading it up, basically stepping down. Mick, you look like you are deep in thought. I'm just think. trying to think about who would pick up the heavy metal brand, like yeah. either to take on as a magazine. Magazine publishing is difficult. Mm. Mm. Right, but who might take it on as a well, publishing imprint? You know, you know, could somehow attach. Like, if you look at, there's a or lot a of topic merch, right? Exactly. Well, but also, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm editing the reviews, so I'm seeing everything coming through, right? And so much talent, you know, comes from metal horans, heavy metal creators um, from a period, right? Mm-hmm. So it still does have cachet, and I think, you know, like the '80s are very. Topical, you know, like there's a big nostalgia. I just think it can be a retro science fiction. Right, right. I think heavy metal and all sort of goes into the early 90s as well. Exactly. It's a very, it's a very, it's got a lot of cachet. Well, so it's interesting to me that this didn't work out, but it's not like no one's going to want to use that. Well, what I was going to suggest is look at what happened with Valiant and Alien Books. And I I think we mentioned that on probably our last Mm -hmm. podcast before we scattered to the winds to go to San Diego, but, um, you know, I, I found out more about Alien Books. It's basically an Argentinian publisher that licensed tons and tons of books from all major publishers and published them in the Spanish-speaking world, and then they've just launched, like, a New York branch and called it Alien Books, and they had been publishing Spanish-language versions of Valiant, so they are now licensing, mm. because Valiant is another zombie brand, and mm. apparently, again, I'm sorry to be so vague, but, you know, it's as I get older, recovering from Comic-Con takes... As long as preparing for bomb comic It's night time. It's too. not just the two. It's the night. It's a not just the two nights good sleep and I'm ready. So, um, but uh, apparently, uh, DMG Valiant's um, parent company has also suffered some setbacks. So I wouldn't be surprised to see um, some kind of alien books type situation mm-hmm. where some licensor just licenses the name or like a more own. authentic connection. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah. somebody mm-hmm. who was one of their uh, frequent artist is going to somehow 
re- resurrected in a positive way. I'm just putting that in the universe. I don't have any mm-hmm. yeah, it, it does happen. I don't have any hints. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what happened with Publishers Weekly Magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, somebody who knew the brand and mm-hmm. loved the brand no, it's, took it's, it out it's, of the mm-hmm. larger, higher overhead mm-hmm. That's exactly what area. Happened. And it essentially and saved it. Frankly. Saved it. Mm-hmm. And, and understood the DNA of what made it work. Right. I, but, I could but see I that happening. Like, when we talk about brands like Heavy Metal and Valiant, uh, um, are they producing content that is the most exciting, most uh, enthusiastically oh, snap. Um, sought after that a younger generation that reads on their phones um, and uh, women uh, and young women? Are these brands really known for attracting what's the most exciting part of the market, the fastest growing the market? part of the market right now, well, um, female, young, digital comics, uh, uh, and digital comics that can be turned into print comics? Hmm. Maybe not. Well, I mean, I think, for one thing, although I am part of the female digital comics market as far as, you know, readership, um, not every brand needs to be aimed at my demographic. It doesn't need to be the most exciting, but it does have to be exciting to somebody. There have to be enough readers out there who are perked up around the ears. And there's nothing inherent to the heavy metal or valiant brand that couldn't be done in a digital first format. You're right, Calvin. I agree. But you gotta do it. But I'm just wondering. Will anybody do are it? Are they, are they doing oh, that? Will they do well, it? Well, what is the become of these digital platforms? You know, I mean, there were all of the digital players were at Comic Con, you know, even Comicsology was there in mm-hmm. a very diminished, um, in a very diminished price. But you know, it doesn't global. even but, exist. How but is you it could, there? Yeah, well, well, you can make the case that Comicsology is old comics, yeah, ported online. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, but look at for global comics. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a there's a need for that as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, but you know, look, what I'm trying to say is that I think webtoon oriented type comics are, is really where. The market is really exploding. And, and I think just part of this transition, and I, you know, I've mentioned this a few times also, is just, you know, people trying different formats. Like distillery. Yes. Uh, I don't know if this has been made public, so it might be a, a secret, but, um, I, I, you know, uh, The Devil's Cut is not a comic book sized, it's a magazine sized, and I understand they will be doing more books in that size, so. Um, yeah. Good luck with that. Booksellers will hate it. Yeah. Well, but, but they don't do floppy periodicals either, you know? Well, that's. Well, I mean, yeah. if they're doing it as a periodical, sure, but I thought that that meant the collected edition would also be oversized, in which case, good luck. Uh, well, I'm just saying, people are trying different, different as they formats. should. As they should. Yes. And, um. As the French model. Uh, well, if that's the other thing. If you're doing it at that size, the one place that has no problem with it is Europe. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the bidet models to do the large size yeah. hardcover. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I thought it was also very significant. Um, you know, Jeffrey Brown, uh, who I talked mm-hmm. to for the podcast, he was one of their guests. And, you know, he mentioned that Batman and Robin and Howard would be serialized as three prestige format comics before being collected as mm-hmm. a graphic novel. So, you know, DC is trying to double dip. But not with the periodical format because, you know, they're not going to get any child to read a, a flimsy comic book. Come on. It's not how it goes. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, unless a child has a parent who goes to comic book stores, there's no way for them to get them. Yeah. 
You know, I went to that Target, and I would say half the graphic novel section, or half the book section was graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Manga and kids mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, superhero stuff. I don't think there was a Marvel or DC book there, but it was uh, Lore Olympus. They had a mm-hmm. face out. Mm-hmm. Um, manga and tons and tons and tons of uh, Dave Pilkey. <laughs> um, so, and, but you know, we're hearing the kids' graphic novel market is starting to get glutted, and sales are slowing there as well. So, yeah, a lot of change is coming. Um, yeah, um, you guys want to talk about your interviews? Or you got, well, you especially, you got you got a bunch. I think well, they're we, on there. They're I mean, I mean, just to let the readers know that hey, yeah, go listen to my interviews. interviews. I got to listen to Nidhi Chanani. Like we're talking about. Kids middle grade. I kind of got mm-hmm. a little middle grade suite with um, Nidhi Chanani and also... Right, uh, could you say the name and where they are? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Let me slow down. Um, or Nidhi Chanani, who is at... Um, well, I think th- th- she's got books at different places. This is at Amulet. Mm-hmm. And she has a new book called Super Boba Tea. And I interviewed her. Super Boba Cafe. Super Boba Cafe. Thank you. I'm That's sorry. Okay. Sorry. It's the night, the previously mentioned night. <laughs> uh, who else did I talk to? Anybody? Let's see. Tay uh, Taylor, as I mentioned. Uh, yes, Rena. Rena Ayuyan, who has the man in the Macintosh suit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, who, what DNQ? At DNQ, yeah, yeah, I caught up with Kazu Kibuishi, mm-hmm. who has um, the conclusion of Amulet. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge. Oh, and actually, so I want to mention about Kazu. We had a packed panel for that and he showed art from the conclusion which is called Wave Rider um, and Laura Antle I actually talked to at Mocha but we put it up in this set because um, it's a powerful book <laughs> Laura also won a graphic medicine award uh, so this was really good timing yeah and uh, you also talked to Sierra Han and Hunter Gorsen. yes I was going to say I talked to Sierra and Hunter and that was a really great interview and I hope everyone you know clicks back to listen to it. Um, Sierra has moved over and she had been at um, Boom for a long time and Dark Horse. So she's had a long career. And I've, I've met her in person before, but it was nice to see her again. And I feel like she has a very steadying vibe. Like I think <laughs> she feels like First a good person DC, yeah. to work for. I've got that sense from her. And and actually, when I was trying to get book news out of her, like what's your, your new top title? She actually wanted to talk more about management of people, you know, mm-hmm. and like making the team that's there feel comfortable in the transitions they've been having and forward looking. And that was a really, I appreciated that. Well, I think if you've listened to this podcast, you know, Oni has been through a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. A uh, steady hand to the tiller is important. Yeah. Yeah. I got that sense. Yeah. And I talked to, uh, as I mentioned, I only did one interview on the floor, Jeffrey Brown, but I always talked to him, but I, I love, we love Jeffrey Brown. I yes. love his like arc, the arc you know? Of, yeah. The arc of his career is remarkable. It really is. It's just remarkable. And um, and he's just so funny and talented. He's really become such a reliable, reliable creator. And I just want to note for anyone, we did do a crossover episode with uh, four women in a hotel room, uh, which was me and Bridget Alverson and Deb Aoki, who write for Publishers Weekly. We were joined by Meg in our hotel room, eating snacks, drinking coffee. Uh, and if you like that, Bridget, Deb, and I, sometimes joined by Johanna Draper-Carlson in various combinations as we go to cons. It's really a convention-only podcast, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we're up on SoundCloud, so if you want to, and also on, um, Spotify, so if you want to subscribe to us, we don't, we only do episodes 
when there's a convention, but uh, we do do that kind yeah. of regular. And if you subscribe, you don't even need to think about it. It'll just pop up in That's your right. feed. That's right. So, yeah, if you enjoyed it. And I, you know, did my remote interview from New York. I was in, interviewed Mark Siegel, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, editorial director of, of First Second, uh, wonderful artist in his own right. Uh, and we rambled on about this and that. In particular, though, his four Eisner nominations right. and two wins. Uh, he won for Frizzy, uh, by Clarabelle Ortega, and I forget the artist's name. Uh, Rose Busmara. Uh, uh, yes, I, I know Clarabelle going back, way back, and I just, I, I just want to shout out, this is her first graphic novel. She's a wonderful, uh, kids author. Uh, Shuna's Journey by, mm-hmm. um, Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the pinball, the history of the, of that the book the, got a great review too. Yeah, really by John Chad. Yes, wonderful. He's great. I mean, and I'm just glad that got nominated. I mean, him and Box Brown both doing yes, these incredible histories of so good. Yes, and one more, an incredible book. I haven't read it, but I've seen some pages from it. Uh, so much. For Love, How I Survived a Toxic Relationship by Sophie Lambda. That was a surprise. Yeah. You know, that book was a little sleeper, I think, to yeah. some extent. But he won like for got... Frizzy and Shuna's Journey. Yeah, and um, Chiara Valdez went up and accepted for Frizzy, which was mm-hmm. exciting. And like an exciting moment because yeah. she's a very buzzy well, I think, editor. I think it was great to see these real up-and-comer editors who yeah, are really absolutely. awesome. Like Kiara and Tay and um, Sierra. I mean, I know Sierra's been around a while, but I, I don't. I feel like and Charlotte she has, Greenbaum. Charlotte Green, oh, Charlotte Greenbaum. Yes, yeah. you know, John Stewart. I talked yeah. about before. <laughs> we haven't even talked about Abrams and the fact that they are also ramping up. Right. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. So, so yeah. there is a lot of different things. Coming. And if I may just throw in, apparently it was a two and a half hour Eisner. Is that yeah, actually? Great. That's amazing. It's never been three hours. We will hope for three well, hours. Cut out, first off, none of the winners were there, so that helped. Uh, and well, then um, things up. they cut out the Hall of Fame. So, oh. Because those long Hall of Fame speeches. Well, they, they put it to a different day. Yeah. Oh. Well, well that's, yeah. I think yeah, that's a didn't happen. Idea. They just broke it out. Two yeah. and a half hours. More time for drinking afterwards. You know what, Calvin? <laughs> the party afterwards was the best attended. It was And people hung out late. I, I, I was lucky enough. I had dinner with Jackie Estrada on my final day in San Diego. And, you know, we talked about that. She said, oh, yeah, that was the, the longest and the best attendance that we've had. I was like, because really? it started earlier. So, um, well, I think, um, I think... Speaking of conventions, there's one on our near horizon on the 12th and 13th, if it is relevant to your interests. Uh, FlameCon, New York's LGBTQ Comic Con, is coming back once again. Tickets are still available. They're very reasonably priced, Mm -hmm. and we will be reporting from there if anybody wants to talk to us. You know, and I want to mention actually about FlameCon, based on the COVID conversation, they are really being cautious about it in a way that is unseen otherwise. They're looking for vaccine records Mm -hmm. and masking throughout the conference. So people who are listening to this who maybe you haven't felt comfortable going to a convention, FlameCon could be the one. And if you have bought your FlameCon tickets and you didn't know, bring your vaccine documentation so you Mm -hmm. can get in. Yeah, you might have forgotten about that. But guess what? When there's a lot of people packed into a small area... They're going to give each other illnesses. <laughs> yes, it happens. Yeah, so. It happens. Well, I think that is it for our Comic-Con Landia episode. And <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think we should just say our names again. Uh, Calvin Reed. <laughs> Meg Lemke. Heidi McDonald. And Kate Fitzsimmons. Because there will be more to come.